0: Thank you all so much for praying together. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah 24 tonight and we'll be turning over to the book of Revelation in a little while. Uh, We're going to start out by talking about all all sorts of uh, kind of broad um, points that we've been talking. Building up to this this moment, um, this is kind of part three of of what uh, never really was intentionally. If I was going to do a big prophecy study, I would have announced it ahead of time. Um, wasn't going to be here a couple of weeks ago. Thought I wasn't going to be here. Left some notes behind. We got into a conversation that just kind of got bigger and bigger, and um, and this is some stuff that I've always I've always got to, always working on a notebook full of of things. Pertaining to um, prophecy and, and the last days and, and things like that. So, um, a few weeks ago, the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, uh, the the Bible's uh, the Bible's prophecies, and we talked about how the Bible is a book of prophecy. Most of the prophecies the Bible gives us have already been fulfilled. So, when someone says, "Hey, what do you think about Bible prophecy? Is it re- is it believable? Is it reliable?" Of course, it is, uh, because most of the prophecies that are in the Bible were fulfilled a long time ago. Uh, Genesis prophesies about Jesus. Exodus prophesies about Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament there's prophecies about Israel and and Christ and the church and all those things written thousands of years before it actually took place. So if you want to know if the Bible is trustworthy or not, um, just look at the fulfilled prophecy. So when the Bible talks about the future, our future, we can trust it because most of what the Bible has ever predicted has taken place place has happened just as God said it would. Jesus himself prophesied that he would uh, die and raise again. And of course, that happened just as he said. He prophesied that there would be a church that would grow and grow and grow and and span the whole world. And of course, that happened just as he said. So we know the Bible is trustworthy, uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about eschatology, which is the study of the the last days, the study of the last things. And, And the Bible uses this specific phrase a lot, the day of the Lord. Uh, not pertaining to a specific 24-hour period, but a time span, a period of time. This age um, that we live in today will come to an end and will usher in a new dawn, a new age, a new era. Um, But before that will take place, uh, the day of the Lord. And the Bible talks about um, this day of the Lord. And and you'll read the the phrase the day a lot in the Bible or that day a lot in the Bible. If you just do a search, if you have an electronic um, Bible that you can search in, and if you search day or the day all over the Old and New Testament, you hear this reference to the day of the Lord. Uh, the Bible has a ton to say uh, and prophesy about these last days. And, and I want to offer you a framework um, that uh, you may or may not have seen before, but I think it's going to be super helpful. Um, and it'll help us recap some things we've already talked about and help kind of get us a, a little bit of a vision of what we've got in store. We may finish this tonight. We may not. We'll just let the Lord be in charge of all of that. So I want, to, I want you to think about the history of the earth as a very long arc, as a very long Uh, as a very long bow, like a rainbow. Um, There's a beginning and there's an end, and it kind of follows an arc from one point to the other. Uh, And and there's some symmetry in that arc. There's some symmetry in that bow. If you see a rainbow in the clouds, you'll know there's a point at the top and the middle, and they both are symmetrical. On Both both sides are symmetrical. You could fold it in on on itself. So that's kind of the way the history of the earth is going to look like when it's all said and done. Uh, If you examine how the story of the earth began, you get a... A glimpse of how things are going to end. If you look at how things began in Genesis, you get a little bit of an idea of how things are going to end one day. And there's so many parallels between Genesis and Revelation. And I want to kind of give you this framework as we get started tonight to kind of help you understand that a lot of what is going to happen has already happened in some way, shape, or form. So there's some symmetry, there's some poetry, there's some rhythm in the way things have happened and 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 will happen. So Genesis, Genesis tells the story of the beginning. It tells the origin story of the earth. And and if you've ever read through Genesis, you'll be familiar with some of these things. Um, Genesis tells the story of earth being perfect, but that paradise was lost when the fall happened. And there's a a story about the flood um, that takes place. Um, uh, How before the flood, uh, a righteous man is raptured, taken away. uh, And then a family is put into an ark and has to endure the storm. Uh, But the waters overwhelm the earth and they divide the land. And eventually the earth begins to, the land begins to separate as this water becomes this dominant force of separation and symbolizing separation and how people were disconnected and people were, uh, that the, the, the unity that God meant for us to have was lost. Uh, Genesis also talks about um, how there was a godless kingdom that ruled the world. They had a tower called Babel that they built together to make a name for themselves, to say to God that we don't need you anymore, that we have ourselves. And uh, there was a king who led that uh, kingdom and, and, and led the nations, led the world into rebellion against God. And, and at one time they were united together in their godlessness with one language and one motive, one agenda. And, and out of the chaos of that kingdom came. A, single, a smaller nation that God chose. God chose one man to start a nation with, and that nation was Israel. And God uses Israel, or he's going to use Israel to tell the whole world about him. And in the story of Israel, even in the story of Israel's beginning, you even get a preview of the church that God was going to bring the Gentiles in. Uh, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well were going to be brought into his family by the work of Israel. So Genesis kind of gives us this framework that there was paradise, it was lost. There was the flood that divided the earth, and that was a symbol of how disrupted the world was, and how divided the world was, how lost the world was. There's this godless kingdom that was trying to unite everyone against God, yet God chose a small nation called Israel to bring the world back to him. And if you compare that to Revelation, There's some similarities. Revelation talks about how uh, the Revelation begins by reviewing the church age. There's letters to the churches. The church has been this dominant force in the history of the world. And as the church age ends, Israel comes back on the scene. Israel becomes the number one focus for God again. And Israel finds itself up against a godless kingdom that is uniting the world against God. That is trying to convince the rest of the nations that there is no need for God when we have each other, when we have ourselves. So Revelation talks about this godless kingdom going up against Israel. And then there's there's this little tiny verse at the end of Revelation that's so powerful. It says that when the kingdom of God comes, there will be no sea. There will be no division. There will be no separation. There will be no uh, disruption as there has been. So you see this kind of book, this, this kind of nice symmetry from the Genesis. The floods divide the earth and, and cause and, and are a symbol of how disrupted the world is, how divided the world is, how lost the world is. In Revelation, we get this promise that there will be no water. There will be no separation. There will be no seas anymore. At the end of Revelation, the paradise comes back. The Garden of Eden is back. The tree of life is back. We could go into even more detail, but I just wanted to kind of give you this kind of idea um, that there's some similarities, there's some poetry, there's some, there's some symmetry. Uh, Revelation, there's this single beast that absorbs all the other beasts and becomes this one kingdom that rules them all. And Israel is the one vessel that God uses to combat the beast. And uh, the church, of course, is raptured away while Israel endures the storm, much like Noah endured the storm. But Enoch was raptured, the church is raptured, and Israel endures the storm. So there's so many similarities. So if you want to know what's going to happen, take a look at what has happened. Because the Bible rhymes a lot. History rhymes a lot. Mark Twain said it, uh, said it best that, uh, that history might not repeat itself, but it does rhyme a lot. There's some symmetry. And, of course, the Bible uh, punctuates that. That that truth. Um, these parallels should not be overlooked um, because the beginning foreshadows the ending. The ending fulfills the beginning. So I want to go through a couple of these, and, and this will help us recap what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. So first up, I want to talk about Israel. Israel is really important when we talk about the history, the history of the world and the future of the world, the end of the world as we know it. Israel has served many roles since God called Abram to be his chosen, uh, uh, chosen man, to, to, to start a chosen uh, nation. But all the different roles that Israel has played uh, pl- uh, plays a, 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 an important factor in his plan to redeem the earth. So Israel has a threefold purpose in the history of the world. First off, it was positioned by God. It was planted by God to be the nation that he revealed himself through. It was his chosen vessel, his chosen vehicle that he was going to shine a light to the nations through, that he was going to show the world that there is one God. His name is Yahweh. There is a, uh, that all the other gods, they're, they're they're all false. They're all made up. They're all fiction. But there is one God who made the world, who lost the world to sin. But Israel is his nation that he used to bring the world back to him. And through Israel comes the church. God sends the Messiah to Israel, but Israel rejected the Messiah. They crucified Jesus. He came into his own, but his own received him not. But when Israel rejected Jesus, it was the opportunity the Gentiles needed, that we needed to get in with God. So there's another parallel in Genesis I want to talk to you about. In Genesis, at the end of Genesis, the tribes of Israel the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, they reject Joseph as their leader. God gives Joseph a vision. You're going to be the king one day. You're going to be the leader of your brothers one day. You're going to bring the whole world under the leadership, under under the knowledge of God. His brothers scoff at him. His brothers are jealous of him. They throw him in a pit and they sell him to some merchants for some penance a small amount of money an insulting amount of money but they just want rid of him that bad so they reject joseph as their leader they sell him they hope that he's dead and then joseph ends up becoming the leader of a gentile kingdom the leader of the egyptian empire Uh, joseph ends up becoming not just the leader of the egyptian empire but he becomes the savior of the world does that remind you of anything Genesis chapter 41 tells us, Pharaoh called Joseph's name, I took out the fancy Egyptian name because it didn't mean anything to us, but the name of Joseph, the Egyptian name, if you read it, it starts with a Z, it's very long, it means the savior of the world. So Pharaoh named Joseph, hey, you are the savior that we need to help us get through this famine that we're about to deal with, this pestilence that we're about to to deal with. And of course, years later, Israel comes back to, to Egypt and they are benefited by Joseph's joseph's uh, leadership and the scripture says that joseph told his brothers you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many should be kept alive so what does god do with joseph joseph saves the gentiles joseph is the leader of the gentile movement and he saves the world when israel rejected him so what is that a picture of Jesus was rejected by his own people. He goes to the Gentiles, or the church goes to the Gentiles, and what happens as a result of Israel rejecting Jesus? The rest of the world gets Saved, or the rest of the world gets the chance to get saved, and that's how the church was born. That's the story of the church. If you read the book of Acts, when the apostle Paul is rejected by the Jews again and again and again, Barnabas and pa- Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jews, since you thr- thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Acts thirteen is the turning point. Up until Acts thirteen, the missions have been all about. About the Jews, all about Jewish people in, in, in towns around the world. They went from Israel, they went to Samaria, they went to the ends of the earth, but they're still going only to Jewish people, to Jewish synagogues, to Jewish communities. But at this point, it's a, t- it's a turning point. It's a crossroads. Paul says, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Not that Jews couldn't get saved, not that Jews wouldn't get saved, but this was a big moment because the church began to focus primarily on the pagans, on the Romans, on the Greeks, on the Gentiles. It goes on. For though the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And what has the church done? Exactly that. They say again in Acts 14, they go back to the home base in Jerusalem and they they arrived and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to who? The Gentiles. That's you and that's me and that's every other nation except for or besides Israel. So this is the time of the Gentiles that Jesus spoke of, this time where Israel was cut off. Israel rejected the Messiah, and in 70 AD, the nation was dispersed, the nation was destroyed, the temple was raised, and from that point forward, it has been this time of the Gentiles. And you'll remember from last week, Romans 11 says, Israel was repositioned, was cut off, but will one day be grafted back in. The church age has a beginning, but it also has an ending. Because there's a story still left to be told about Israel at the center of God's plan. Daniel 9 told us that Israel would have one more moment at the center of the redemption story. So we talked about all the things that would trigger this resurrection of Israel. Remember Israel's threefold purpose, they they were positioned, they were cut off, but they will be or they have been because in 1948, after 1900 years of not existing as a nation, Israel was resurrected, which tells us that there's a little bit of a gap, a little bit of an overlap in the church age and this age. And of course, Israel is a nation, but it's not completely back together like it is going to be one day. There are many enemies of Israel that are trying to hold it back, trying to keep it from obtaining that, that reposition. Of course, they are fighting to get what is theirs back, and they one day will. And Ezekiel 38 tells you about how they will one day get back what is theirs. Again, that tells us that there's a little bit of an overlap from the church age to this new uh, or this next final act for Israel. But um, Jesus said, uh, you will see uh, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled and to which they will no longer be trampled underfoot. To this day, the city of Jerusalem is half occupied by the Jews, but it's half occupied by Gentiles. Or, in their case, the Palestinians, but it will one day know. It one day will not be trampled over. It will one day not be occupied by the Palestinians. It will be theirs, and we inch ever so closer to that moment being fulfilled. To when the times of the Gentiles will end. Now we know the Bible um, often interchangeably associates the church with the Gentiles. Again, not that Jews can't be saved, but the reality of it is most Jews don't accept Christianity because they believe it's a knockoff, it's a, it's a wrong understanding of what their faith is, which is why most Jews will say, yeah, we believe the Old, but not the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament to us, it's the only Testament, if you ask us. But Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is the church age all about? Bringing Gentiles into the family of God. So when God returns to focusing on Israel, it just makes sense for the church's purpose to be completed. Does that make sense? So the church age has a beginning, and when God repositions Israel at the center of the story, the church age will come to an end. Because this, because this sets up that last seven-year period that Daniel talked about where, an, where a united, ungodly kingdom attempts to thwart God's eternal plans once for all. So that, that may make you ask the question, What are God's plans for this planet? What are God's plans for the world? Well, there's a few passages I want us to look at that help us understand what God's plans are for the earth and explain why he's got to do what he's going to do to the earth. Um, Isaiah 24 is what we're going to look at for just a a little bit. Um, Isaiah 24 is probably not uh, not your go-to chapter for comfort, Um, but this explains what God has to do to the earth or what's going to happen to the earth. And he explains why he's going to do this to the earth. Um, it says in verse, 20, verse 1, chapter 24, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And it shall be. As with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The point of it is no one is going to be excluded from the chaos that's going to come on this planet. Those that are here, that is. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered for the Lord has spoken his word. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. It's cursed because they transgress the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and a few men are left. So this talks about a future time where the earth is going to be judged. And you can get the gist that it's not going to be a, a sporadic judgment. It's going to be an all-encompassing, no one is spared. Uh, it, from top to bottom, the earth is going to be purged by God. The reason is because there is a curse on this planet and it rests heavily upon it. But this isn't all doom and gloom. Verse 14 says, We get a change in tone. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs. Glory to the righteous, but I said I am ruined, I am ruined. Woe to me, the treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. So this is kind of the perspective of someone on the planet in this time, in the, or on the earth in this time. Uh, but there seems to be some hope that rises up on, for the earth within the nation of Israel. Down in verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. It will fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day, there's our phrase, that day, the day of the Lord, that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, the kings of the earth, They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered into the pit, will shut up in the prison. After many days they'll be punished, the moon will be disgraced, the sun will be ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his elders gloriously. So that's a lot of of abstract things I, I know, but here's the gist of it. Everything is building up to a climactic cosmic moment where God finally purges the evil within creation from the inside out. And Isaiah 24 tells us there is a time coming. There is a day coming. There is a time period coming on this planet where God is going to pour out judgment on the earth. But from the nation of Israel, some hope arises. Now, here's how we know. Here's what we know. Right now, God's main vehicle of activity on this planet is the church. But the Bible talks about a future day where Israel returns to the center. So this, Isaiah 24, talks about that future time period. uh, But the the church is not an active presence on the planet in this time period. So I want to kind of explain what we can glean from this and we'll get through what we can, and then we'll finish up next week. So turn over to Revelation 3 with me as we wrap all this up, and I give you a little bit of information that is important, uh, that'll help make sense of what we just read. Um, Revelation 3, now we know that Revelations 1 through 3 features the church. The church is not mentioned in Revelation after chapter 3, which is an important thing to note. Revelations 1 through 3 is, talks about the church being the center of God's story, the center of how God's trying to reach the world. Uh, you hear Jesus is writing to the churches uh, to call them back to him as if there's been some falling away. Now some speculate that the different churches of Revelation represent the different eras of the church throughout history from the beginning to the end. And the last one, Laodicea, represents the one, the church that exists at the end of the age. Now that's just a theory but it, it, it kind of it checks out. Regardless, Laodicea, uh, the, 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 the address to Laodicea kind of opens up to this broad address to all the church as Jesus says this age is about to end. Uh, read with me, and, or follow along with me, Revelation 3, verse 14. The angel of the church of Laodicea writes, These things, says, amen, says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I, w- I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you or spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That doesn't describe this generation. I don't know, I don't know what does. Uh, we feel like we have what we need materialistically, yet deep down spiritually, we are none of those things. We are, we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, And that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is Jesus kind of giving the church one last plea to return to him before it's too late. The door is about to open. Heaven is about to receive the church, yet many are not prepared. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 4, John, after these things, I looked up and behold, a door, the door opened. You see the connection? Jesus standing at the door. I'm about to open it. The door opens. John is called up. It says, the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately he was called up. Now, if you compare that to First Thessalonians, it says the trumpets sound and this church is caught up in the air. It makes sense that the church age comes to an end in Revelation 3. John is a picture of the church getting raptured. The door opens and the church is suddenly in heaven. And in chapter 4, rewards are given, crowns are given, and the church begins to praise Jesus for all eternity. So it makes sense that Revelations 3 is the end of the church age. Revelations 4, the rapture takes place. The church is taken up. But the, the story isn't over. We've got Revelations 5 and the rest of the book to go. So there's more to, go, there's more to come. There's more that's going to happen on this earth. So here's what we set up for next week. John's caught up in heaven. He's in heaven. He's in the throne room. But he notices all is not well. Because God has still got this problem. The earth is rotting. The earth is decaying. The earth is corrupt. And he wants to restore it. He wants to save the earth. He wants the earth to be as it should be. The church saved people, made him known. But God still has the nation of Israel that he is now focused on once again. And he has the planet that he intends on purifying and purging of evil and restoring in full and he's going to relocate heaven to earth at the end of the book. So Revelations 5 through Revelations 19, the focus, the goal of the story is let's get the earth back like it should be. Look with me in Revelations 5, verse 1. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back sealed with seven seals now, I don't have an image for you, but the idea here is that it's a scroll rolled up and it's got these very heavy stamps, these, these like big polymers stuck to the seal so that you couldn't open it. I saw a strong an- angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? <coughs> so there's the scroll that, that, that can't get open. It's been sealed for some reason. And no one in heaven or on earth was, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now John seems to know what this is, but we'll, we'll fill it in in a minute. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent unto all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. To, for you are slain, you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to God. And we shall reign on the earth. What is the point of this? The earth is where we're going to live forever, but we've got something to do. We've got to do something to make that possible. So what is the scroll? What is this scroll? The scroll is the title deed to the earth. Satan has the title deed to this earth. Jesus calls him the God of this world. That's why Satan offered the kingdom of the world to Jesus, because when the fall happened, the earth, which the title deed, which was Adam's, Adam was made the, the one in charge of the earth. Adam was told to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Adam, in God's image, was given the title deed. And when Adam sinned, he lost the deed. And Satan has it. And God could have took it back, but for God to take it back, if he would have just took it back, the people that fell under Satan's curse would have just fell with him. So God wanted to redeem the people first, and then he has a plan to redeem this earth, restore this earth. So Satan has the title deed of the earth, and God is going to use Israel to reclaim it for himself. That has been his plan with Israel all along. One nation against all the ungodly nations. One nation against the nations that fall under the devil's grip in the last days. You read, you read in this chapter lots of sevens in this chapter, right? Seven on the seven seals, seven horns, seven crowns. The seven, of course, Daniel talks about how the, the time period that's, that God is going to do this reclaiming in is the seven-year period at the end of this age maybe a seal a year, we don't know, but that seven is important. As God uses Israel to face off against the world that is trying to prevent God from restoring it. So what is Satan's goal? To burn the earth up, to take it down with him. But God is going to reclaim this earth. Jeremiah talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. This is going to be a very tumultuous time, a very painful time, a very chaotic time, a time full of so much pain, so much suffering, so much wrath as God judges the earth and purges the earth of evil. But the but the conclusion is going to be a glorious victory for the nation of Israel and for God. During this seven-year period, the peace, the, God is going to use Israel to go up against the beast. This conglomeration of, of nations that fall under the devil's grip as he makes one final effort to not let go of this planet. Once the church is raptured, God has saved his pe- the Gentiles but here's the thing, we have no claim to this earth. Gentiles, we are just strangers, we are just pilgrims. The, 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 earth, the, the, the earth belongs, again, to, to Israel. Israel is the, the, the nation that God chose. And Israel's gonna be the nation that God redeems this earth and reclaims this earth through. You and I, we got grafted in, we're gonna get taken out. And then the stage is set. Israel is going to be used by God to get back what belongs to him, to restore it, reclaim it, repurpose it, once and for all. But the devil is not gonna go down without a fight. And the rest of Revelation is about that fight, about that battle, about this period of time where the earth is up for grabs. And as the lamb begins to open the seals, as the lamb begins to break the seal and open the scroll, all hell breaks loose on this planet. As the fight for the soul of the earth takes place of course we know what happens and next week we'll get into more detail about what that's going to look like you and I will be watching from the balcony of heaven that's good news for us but it's still pretty cool that we get to see what's going to happen during that time period so I hope this has been a blessing to you encourage you to read ahead there's plenty of study guides out there that can help you understand Uh, we'll get into that in more and more detail in the weeks to come let me pray for you Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this insight about your plans for this earth and help us to understand that you have plans for this planet. You love the earth God so loved the world. You don't just love the people, you love the world because you made it and you've got great plans for it and you've got a purpose for this planet still yet. Lord, thank you for showing us that how we fit into the story and I pray that we might would be even more urgent and more uh, diligent to, to serve you and to honor you and to make the most of our time. And, and Lord, help us to know that, that there's more to come. And that we are living out the, the, day, the, 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 the prophecies of the Bible as things begin to inch closer to that day that you make all things new. Lord, thank you for your guidance and your, and your spirit. Bless us, keep us until we come back in Jesus' name. Amen.